Welcome to the Opus Crash Course. I'm your host, Jessica Nesterak. A new decade for fuel pricing has kicked off. Oil price analysts forecasted volatility in 2020, and the market has already stepped up and delivered. Within the first few days of the new year, geopolitical tensions in the Middle East reached the boiling point and helped send Brent and WTI crude futures spiking. Then the market was pitched an unexpected curveball. The new coronavirus outbreak in China has sent shutters through the markets with demand implications still largely unknown. Joining me today is Denton Cinquagrana, chief oil analyst at Opus, to give us his take on what the market experienced in the early days of 2020 and his picks for factors that could steer prices this year and in the future. Denton, welcome to The Crash Course. Hey, thanks for having me. Denton, let's talk about the coronavirus. Take me through the effects the outbreak has had on global oil markets. Obviously, it puts significant pressure on prices. The real concern is from a demand standpoint. But what it did to oil prices is it sent WTI futures and Brent futures to some of the lowest levels not seen in more than a year. In fact, WTI had spent some time below $50 a barrel and Brent below $54 a barrel as a result. The real impact is also expected to be on refined products where gasoline and diesel prices have responded to the downside. And one of the other big aspects is going to be what's the impact on jet fuel demand? We're going to come back to the coronavirus a little later. But before that, I want to look back to the very start of the year when the market shot higher due to tensions in the Middle East. Denton, can you take us through what happened? Geopolitics is always a big issue. The headlines regarding Iran and the United States with some military action as well as retaliations you reached prices just over right around $63 for WTI. Brent got up to over $69 a barrel briefly. You know, a couple of weeks later, prices are back down, you know, six, seven dollars from those peaks. But as quickly as they reacted to the upside, they kind of reacted to the downside. So it's been pretty interesting how kind of short-lived these tensions have lasted. And a part of that is because, you know, oil supplies are fairly comfortable. You also have the U.S. producing upwards of 13 million barrels a day. If this happened, say, 10 years ago, when U.S. production was in the kind of six to seven million barrel a day area, you probably have a lot different price outlook. It might have sustained itself a little longer. Absolutely, and probably at much higher levels as well. That would get you talking about those triple digits once again. But again, with production being what it is, OPEC restraining their output and supplies still not dropping drastically, it just goes to show how interesting the U.S. shell revolution has been in regards to prices. So staying with politics, both globally and domestically, we have an election year ahead of us. What can we expect to see in terms of headlines that might move the market in 2020? Well, I think it really depends on who the Democrats ultimately choose as who's going to run for president on that side. There are several candidates who really want to put an end to fracking. That's been kind of the key to pushing U.S. production the way it has over the last several years. In fact, recently at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, President Trump was kind of touting how the energy revolution in the U.S. has been great for the U.S. economy. Now you have some potential, you know, opponents to him who are looking to put an end to fracking. That would take a significant amount of U.S. production out of the mix. But, you know, it depends. It would have to be on federal lands to ban fracking on private lands, not so much. So there's a debate on to how much production would be lost as a result if that even happens. So if there eventually is a ban on fracking, how does that speak to our overall initiatives of perhaps becoming energy independent in the United States? 
that's an interesting standpoint. I mean, there's been a lot of talk of energy independence. And I don't know if the U.S. will ever be truly energy independent. Obviously, exports of oil have jumped sharply over the past couple of years. There's been weeks in the EIA data where we see record levels of exports. And I think those records are going to continue to be toppled here in 2020. But you know, the way refineries were configured to run various crudes that may not necessarily kind of fit the bill of what's being produced in West Texas and North Dakota, really light, really sweet. And these refineries were configured to run heavy, cheap, sour crudes to get those cheaper crudes and run them into refineries and turn them into usable products. So it's a quality differential, if you will, that'll probably never make the U.S. quite energy independent, maybe less energy dependent might be the better description of, of that. And I'm sure both sides will seize upon it as you know, a victory. Exactly. You would be stupid as a politician to not take credit for anything good that happens. What are some of the other energy policies that will shape fuel pricing in 2020? Well, I think one of the things is the RFS. The RFS is always kind of a hot topic. The RFS, it's going to be here to stay. So people are learning how to deal with it and run operations around it. So I think E15 is one of those things that'll probably gain in popularity. Just late last year, New York State was one of the last few states to allow sales of E15. Now, again, it's a consumer preference thing. It is really a consumer education thing. I think most people don't really know much about E15. If you take your basic soccer mom who's driving the minivan and you know goes to the retail station to fill up, you have a long line of different options. It gets a little confusing. I'm in New Jersey and I don't pump my own gas, but I was... So great in the rain. <laughs> when it's raining and you don't have to get out of your car. <laughs> and the winter when it's really cold. Exactly. But anyway, I digress. Uh, one time returning a rental car, I pulled up a pump to fill up. And you know some of the options that were out there, I was a little confused. I do this kind of for a living. So if I'm confused, then I'm sure there are a lot of consumers that are confused as well. So education will be a big thing there at E15. But if I pull up to a pump and I see, hey, this one says 88, which would be the octane rating, and it's seven cents cheaper or three cents or five cents or whatever, cheaper than this one that says 87, what's the deal here? I'm getting this higher number, but it's cheaper. What's the catch? You know what I mean? So I think education would go a long way to helping the consumer adopt more E15. And if that's what the consumer wants, then the retail stations will start to sell it. So another thing that consumers aren't going to really know about are changes to gasoline specifications that are rolling out in 2020. Can you bring us up to speed a little bit on that? Sure. You're talking about the tier three specifications. Yeah. So Again, as part of the EPA's initiatives, tier three gasoline means that the gasoline produced and obviously eventually sold cannot exceed 10 parts per million on average. So basically that's an annual average. So it's going to be hard to see how that shapes up. Some refineries may not be able to produce a, a gasoline that is just 10 parts per million of sulfur. So what are their options? So one of the other options might be going out to the market and buying tier three sulfur credits. However, the bank of sulfur credits to begin with is pretty low. And those credits are costing about $3,500 per credit. At least that's where they were at late in 2019. So that has the potential to add, you know, somewhere between four to six cents per gallon to the price of gasoline, which will obviously be passed down to the consumer eventually. Well, I think your soccer mom would probably notice a several cent increase in her gas bill. She absolutely will. 
So we've looked a little bit downstream and looked at a big game changer for the downstream market all the way down to the retail level. But let's take it back upstream to the refinery level. I know one huge game changer this year are new regulations sent down by the IMO for bunker fuel specifications. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that might affect the distillate market? Sure. Well, that's the interesting thing. You know, you would expect to see that show up in, say, ultra-low sulfur diesel futures. And we really haven't seen too much of an IMO bump to diesel prices. That could be a couple of different things. One, supplies of very low sulfur fuel oil that meet IMO standards. You know, people knew this was coming, so they kind of probably built up some supplies to kind of buffer that and give them a little bit of time before this has an impact on diesel prices. Also, you know, we really haven't had much of a cold winter so far on the East Coast where... Except for the last few days. (laughs) Right, exactly. So the winter hasn't been very cold from a heating degree day perspective. We are running a little bit below average since December 1st. So there hasn't been much of a pull from the utility side on diesel as well. Where you have seen it is the price of very low sulfur fuel oil. There's been a few cases, and Opus has written about this recently, where very low sulfur fuel oil was trading for roughly six times the value of gasoline. So that's impressive. Yeah, it was very strong compared to gasoline. So that's where you might see some of that skipping of the low sulfur VGO, skipping the FCC units and being turned into gasoline and going right to the marine fuel blending market. So we haven't really seen too much of an impact on diesel, but the price of very low sulfur fuel oil has been very strong. And that has been the direct reaction that we've seen so far. And the year is still relatively young. It is. We're still early. We do expect to at some point see a bump in diesel prices as a result of IMO, but that may not come until later in the first quarter, maybe even towards the end of the first quarter. So, Denton, back to the coronavirus. I know there are a lot of unknowns and many of them are pretty terrifying to think about. But what is currently the outlook for demand and what can we expect to see as the year unfolds? Obviously, there's huge demand implications. And in the early stages, and again, we don't know where this is going to finally shake out. But from a demand standpoint, they're calling the demand shock some of the greatest since the Great Recession of 2009. So we have to really take a good hard look at how demand is unfolding, particularly in China, obviously, as people have been quarantined, made to stay home, factories have closed, things like that, flights canceled. So again, there's a lot of impact that is still not fully known yet. The question then also becomes, will that lost demand be made? up at some point in the second half of the year, for example, or even into 2021. So a lot of that demand growth that maybe was being expected for 2020 may get deferred into 2021. At the same time, OPEC is taking a hard, serious look at if they need to cut production based on this lost demand. Some of the reports indicate that the number that might lead to is 600,000 barrels a day. There's obviously the kind of internal bickering, but again, that's what's been recommended for them to kind of help balance demand and supply refineries in China. They'll be running less crude, obviously, because they're not going to need the product so much. So that's going to have a big impact on crude oil demand. Again, the demand curve and the impact from the virus. Obviously, we have estimates. China's oil demand is probably about a million barrels plus per day less than a year ago, which is what you would expect with refineries being shut down or at least slowed down as the lack of demand works its way through the system. Well, the market clearly has a lot to process this year and for the decade ahead. Denton, thanks for your insight today. Always a pleasure. If you would like to dive a little deeper into Opus's forecasts for 2020, head to info.opusnet.com slash oil hyphen market hyphen outlook, where you'll find an in-depth report analyzing major trends for oil, gasoline, and diesel prices this year. It's free to download and a great way to immerse yourself in factors steering prices for the year ahead. And 
Denton co-wrote it. <laughs> Another great way to stay on top of 2020 trends is to subscribe to the Opus Crash Course podcast wherever you connect, like Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Play. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you soon.